Well, um, just a just a short introduction. Um, many of you probably don't need to be introduced. Uh, of course, he is a retired pastor of Bethany World Prayer Center now. Uh, you're very familiar with Bethany with uh, the second eldest son, Jonathan Stockstill, is pastoring the church now. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like this thing I hear. They ask me, what is Brother Larry doing now? What is he doing? Well, I tell you what, he's got a whole lot that he can tell you that he's doing now. Really, probably his heart's dream is traveling the world, man, spreading the love of Christ, building leaders, raising up pastors and establishing churches. Some over 20,000 plus churches planted around the world. Um, and, and some of my greatest memories of being at Bethany was our 5.30 meeting, a.m. meetings for breakfast that we ate breakfast together. We played basketball together. And then he opened up the word and taught us every morning, every Tuesday morning. You know, and, and remembering those kind of discipling times, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't even understand it at that time. Matter of fact, I lost that time a little bit and had to come back to it. But um, I just want you to know uh, me being uh, a part of that ministry my life was changed forever, and I'm believing, God, that your life is going to be changed forever tonight. So without belonging to time, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet, and let's welcome Pastor Larry to Lafayette. Lafayette. I love you, brother. You're a blessing. Amen. Thank you, brothers. God bless you. You may be seated. Wow, what a tremendous joy. There you go. Look, we got all kinds of papers and all kinds of stuff. What a tremendous joy uh, to be in this church and see this beautiful building. And you guys, and really after an introduction like that, I can hardly wait to hear myself. I'll be honest about it. No, I'm joking. But I mean, I didn't have to drive it about an hour to get over, just get over the Chaffalai Basin and bam, here we are. But I want to recognize you pastors. Of course, Pastor Lane Payne came out of Bethany. And uh, so many guys that, uh, yeah, Pastor Lang, come on. Abbeville shall be saved. And, you know, then the tremendous heroes that were introduced here tonight, I would, I would say a great amen to all three of those men, men of God. In fact, Francis, I was thinking about preaching. I'm speaking on James 3 in uh, May for Jonathan. Think about adopting your title, Hung by the Tongue. I won't tell them it's yours, but, (laughs) but, uh, wow, what a tremendous night, uh, guys, you know, it just, it really is an honor to be with you. And, uh, as pastor Ty said, I've, I've been very busy. This last weekend was just unbelievable because I'm telling you this because there's a, a move of God going on with men across the nation right now. And we don't see a huge thing happening yet, but it's like a, it's like a groundswell. And in Birmingham at Chris Hodges Church, who was one of our associate pastors, went up there with zero members 14 years ago. He had 58,000 people at Easter, which is unbelievable church. I think he's in the top five in America churches. And Chris had a men's conference Friday night and Saturday. And we talked through Model Man, four sessions. He had 3,000 men that came to that conference in three campuses. And then they had 33 churches connected on the Internet across America, which was fabulous. And they all had men, full of men in them. 
Uh, they're all launching model men small groups. And uh, it's just, we, that, I think this last thir- Friday and Saturday is where model men kind of kind of got kicked off really like the Lord is going to do it in an amazing way. And then Sunday I was in Huntsville and then to be here in Lafayette tonight and then just see all of you guys here from Lafayette is just really fantastic. And I have to admit, I turned one exit too soon uh, coming here tonight and I ended up in the middle of Lafayette. And y'all know there's a festival going on here, right? And I nearly got got lost and backslid down there in the middle of that festival. But I mean, I couldn't even find my way out. And it took about 25 or 30 minutes for us to navigate over here. And then I said, oh, my goodness, right off Ambassador Caffrey. But it really kind of gave me a heart for your city. And I you know, went through neighborhoods. You know how they'll, Google will bring you through neighborhoods. And, and just, I don't know, I guess it was a, it was a divine detour. And the Lord just let me see uh, Lafayette. And, you know, uh, Lafayette's best days and its blessed days are ahead. Amen. And we, amen. And we're excited about the generation that just spoke to us. I'm kind of sandwiched in between the next generation. My son, Jonathan, is now our pastor. He's my pastor. He's 34. And I whipped his behind many a time. But he's, you know, he's just really doing a great job. They had 1,100 people saved at Easter, which is fantastic. And I just attend. I don't know what's going on at Bethany other than than I attend. And uh, then I preach there every quarter and uh, help Jonathan a lot with his messages and things like that. But, you know, I'm just a member. And uh, so, but traveling has become a, a, a big, big part of my life. And uh, I just praise the Lord. I also want to honor a pastor who probably none of you have heard of. Maybe maybe there's somebody in here, Pastor Jake Benton. Anybody ever was a member of Jake Benton's church or attended there? It was very small work. But Jake was one of our pastors for a number of years, uh, African-American man. He came and planted a church over here. And uh, Jake went to be with the Lord about two years ago. But he really loved God. He's a tremendous man. And I'd just like to give his name. Let's give a hand clap for Pastor Jake Benton. Thank the Lord. Amen. Well, it's, you know, so much to say, so I'm ready to get started. Uh, I'd like for you to open your Bible with me to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses to you guys. I'm not going to preach very long. You know, just about three hours is all I really need. You heard about the guy that was preaching about three hours, and he was really, he loved to hear himself preach, I guess. And finally, a guy got up from the front row and started to leave. And he stopped him about halfway up the aisle, and he says, Sir, where are you going? Guy turned around and said, I'm going to get a haircut. He said, Well, why didn't you get a haircut before you came? The guy looked back and he said, I didn't need a haircut before I came. (laughs) I have a determined time limit, and I plan to stay within it. Tomorrow morning, I'll be with pastors. Then tomorrow night, I'm going to preach on a favorite scripture of mine, and that is, if mama ain't happy. Now, that ain't in the Bible, but it ought to be. You agree? 
And uh, I'm going to teach you how to have a happy wife, and, and we're going to really help your family. So if you know a man that, you know what, he just really needs help in his family, and I do. So I'm, I'm talking about all of us. We're going to have a powerful time tomorrow night. But just tonight, uh, I'd like to take uh, the first three chapters of the Model Man book. And by the way, do we have a Model Man book anywhere close by? There we go. Pastor Ty, bring me that. Is there a man in here who killed a 10-point buck this year? I'm talking about this season. You killed a 10-point buck. Raise up your hand. I want to see. Jay, did you kill a 10-point buck? How many? And an 11. Help that brother. Anybody else kill? Well, we're going to have to give it to Jay. Let's give it to Jay. Come on up here, Jay. Let's give it to <laughs> Dude, that's an anointing. I was playing golf with a guy one time. He hit a hole in one. He couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, he thought that's got to be the anointing on pastor's life to help me do that. Verse 19, James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I'm going to deal with that just for a couple minutes tonight too. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, and whenever there's a therefore, you need to know what it's therefore. That's right. Therefore, in other words, because of those things, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. You know, every Sunday, 320,000 sermons are preached in America. And obviously, it ain't doing a whole lot of good to a lot of people. So it ain't, it ain't the fact that the word is being preached. It's about the word being put into practical application. That's really what uh, Model Man is all about. It's helping you to apply things, live things, so that you can leave a legacy. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man. You notice it says he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, the kind brethren here at the church brought me a mirror. And, you know, one thing I learned about a mirror is that women always carry a mirror. You'll never meet a woman that doesn't have a mirror in her purse. They all have one. But I guarantee you, there's not a man in here who's got a mirror in his pocket. In fact, some of you look like you ain't looked in the mirror in quite some time. You look like you got up and somebody slapped you on the left side and all your hair went out on the right side. And you never even passed by a mirror at all. But see, men are not into mirrors. I, I look at them, you know, for a second, and, but that's one of our problems. You know, we don't, women will stare. Melanie's got a mirror. She goes, puts it on the sliding glass door. She goes out there and it magnifies every little pore. And she's, she's, you know, women, man, they got magnifying mirrors and they got concave mirrors and convex mirrors and they got, they got floor to ceiling mirrors and they, they, women just, dude, they, but men, men don't, it's that, that's not really our thing. 
But the problem is, is we need it. And in the Bible, what we're talking about is the Word of God is is really a big mirror. If you want to just know, you know, that's what it's saying here. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once he forgets what he looks like. So he, he looks at himself, you know, and he kind of, he, he passes by the mirror, he looks at himself and goes, hey, hey, and, and then he go he doesn't remember what he looks like. So he hadn't made a lot of changes in regard to what he saw. Whereas the next guy it says, but, verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, that's the Bible, that's the Word of God, the law of liberty, that means that the Word of God will set you free. You got a habit in here tonight. You got a bondage. You got something holding you down as a man. All you got to do is look deeper into the word of God to set you free. He being and perseveres rather. He perseveres. He doesn't glance and then he moves on. But this guy stands there and he looks and he said, you know what? My collar, my, you know what? I, I need this. You know what? I got something on my pants. You know what? I missed a place shaving. You know what? And he, and he doesn't, he doesn't just glance, but he, he perseveres and he's continually got one eye on the mirror. Now we know that Jesus is really the mirror. He's the image of God. We're trying to be made to look like him. But notice it says, if he perseveres being not a hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts. That's what we're talking about tonight. He will be blessed in his doing. Father, we just thank you tonight for this word. We thank you, Lord, for James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And and I'm just asking, Lord, that the Holy Ghost would just put this word down inside the heart of every single male, every man, family leader in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, men, this is a statistic I've learned from numerous sources. That when a man gets saved and really follows God, as Brother Thompson says, sells out to Jesus, 90% of the time his whole family gets saved. 90%. When a woman gets saved and sells out to the Lord, 15% of the time, her whole family gets saved. When a child gets saved in a family, 4% of the time, the whole family gets saved. Okay, so now, now, now you're getting the picture why the devil hates us men to be sitting in church on a Thursday night. The NBA playoffs on and all this, and here you are sitting up in here in church, and the devil is not excited because when you serve the Lord, 90% of the time, your entire family is going to serve the Lord. Now, I'm a product of legacy. These men got up and talked about my dad. He lives with me. Mama died seven years ago. Daddy's been living with me. He made 96 in February. Come on now. And he's full of the Holy Ghost, still kicking his leg a little bit. And he's not preaching anymore, but he preaches to me. Every morning I go in there 
and we solve all the world's problems together. And what I miss, Fox News helps him to solve all day. He sits there and watches that. And, and uh, Daddy, until very, very recently, went to Walmart every day in his little car. He, you know, he banks there. He shops there. I think he sleeps there a couple nights a week, actually. And Daddy's on fire for God, you know. And now here our church is, 52 years old. And Daddy pastored it 20 years. I pastored it 28 years and now my son Jonathan, this year will be four years. He's pastor. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. So I know a little bit about legacy. In the morning, I'm going to talk to the pastors of Acadiana about legacy and about this transfer that's going on from generation to generation, which is a powerful thing. It's, we saw it tonight in uh, Jay and Pastor Sterling. But the, you got to start looking at yourself as different then you have been looking at yourself. Some of you have been just looking at yourself from the top down like that. Well, I want you to start looking at yourself in the mirror of the Word. And I want you to start really deeply looking at what's going on in my life. Because the more you stare at the Word of God and how it relates to you and how it changes you, the greater the impression God will use you to make on the next generation. You ain't going to live forever, brothers. One of these days, they're going to bury you. I mean, I was at a funeral where nobody attended. A man died, not one person attended. So you you know what? You're going to die, and eventually somebody's going to bury you. But the question is going to be, what impression has your character made on people? I heard about a preacher that was trying to extol a guy in the casket. The man was lost as a goose in a hailstorm. He was a known womanizer and he was doing all this stuff. Well, the preacher got up and started talking about how great a guy he was, and what a wonderful family man and blah, blah, blah he was. So a man walked up in the middle of the service and lifted the coffin lid and the guy said, pastor said, what are you doing? He said, I just want to be sure that the man you're talking about is the same guy that's in here. <laughs> now let's talk about character tonight. Okay. That's first three chapters of the model man book. And I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a flyover of character. Next 30 minutes, it's, it, it, it's going, it's going to be some mirror time. You're going, you're going to find yourself looking in the word of God. Now there are three parts really to uh, character. And let me, before I say those three, let me remind you that character uh, is a letter. You know, a letter uh, is, a, is a statement. You can type it. You can type characters. They say, you know, 120 characters per line or whatever. They call them characters in a computer. They're letters. And that gives us our clue as to what character is. Character is what prints out when you press print. Character... Let, let, let's take the city of Lafayette's post office. It, it got letters going through there. I mean, thousands of them. And they print on every one of them the word Lafayette. Somebody's printing it or a machine or something. It's got a stamp and it says Lafayette, Lafayette. Well, what if that, that stamp misspelled the word Lafayette and it was L-A-U-G-H, laugh, 
A-Y-E-T-T-E, Lafayette. The guy didn't know how to spell Lafayette, so he's got the He's got the stamp, and he's just stamping these thousands of letters, stamping. Well, one guy gets his letter, and he said, that ain't how you spell Lafayette. He goes down to the post office. and says, where's that stamp? Well, I don't know. It's back in the back room. And they go back there, and they pull it out of the machine, or this guy's sitting there and said, let me see that stamp. And they say, this, these characters are wrong. And they take it, and they got to adjust the, the characters. And now they spell it F-L-A-F-A-Y-E-T-T-E. Now, now it's right. Now the characters are right. And they start it over again and they start impressing. Maybe, maybe thousands, maybe millions. But you can't let something that's got wrong characters keep on making wrong impressions. See, God wants to use you as his stamp. And God's looking around this room tonight from many different churches. And he brought you here. Because, you know, just one letter wrong in that word, you got to stop the line and say, let me see the stamp. That's why I call it a model man. Because God wants to alter you where you can make impressions on others, and you may leave an impression on a hundred people in your life. Maybe God will use you to make impressions on thousands of people. Billy Graham made impressions on millions. Reinhard Bonnke has won 64 million people to the Lord. Reinhard Bonnke's made an impression on people in Africa like you cannot believe. And he didn't know when he was a little boy in Germany that was going to happen. But God was working in his character. He's dialing him in. And I want to talk to you tonight about your character. You say, well, I'm not going to make an impression on anybody. You already are. Your children, your neighbors, your coworkers at work, you're already making an impression. So you might as well go ahead and change the letters so that Jesus is shining through you correctly. And that comes from looking in that mirror in the word of God and saying, Lord, change me. Lord, Lord, rearrange me. Now, here's the three parts of character, integrity, purity, and example. That's the three parts of character. Now, I want to talk about all three of them, and I'm going to start with integrity. Integrity. Here's a great definition for integrity. It's being the same person on the inside as you appear to be on the outside. The word means whole, consistent, whole. It, nothing missing. My son Joel told me about a week ago, he said, Dad, you have integrity. He said, the reason I know that is because I lived with you. I heard you preach, I watched you on TV, I saw all the public part of you, but I lived with you, I drove with you when the car was hot and the kids were loud. When the, the, when the red light changed and the person in front of you didn't move, come on somebody, I lived with you. When some teenagers blocked the lane at Cortana Mall one day for about three minutes, and kept turning around, looked to see what I would do. And all my kids would say, get out and get them, Dad. And I had to wait and just wait. He said, I watched you. He said, you were the same behind the scenes as you were publicly. 
Well, I didn't realize Joel was watching that closely, but that's what I always try to be. That's what, that's a great definition of integrity. But the word whole in, in Hebrew is where integrity comes from, like a whole number, integer is a whole number. If it has a fraction like one and a half, it's not an integer. But if it's a one or a two or a three, it's a whole number. So God wants you to be a whole man, uh, uh, the complete package. And it's kind of like somebody gives you a pie and you open the box but and there's a beautiful banana cream pie in there. But you know what? There's a little slice missing out of that pie. It gives you a weird feeling, doesn't it? Like, did a rat eat that? Or what? where'd that go? Who ate that slice? I mean, I don't know if I want to eat it or not. There's a piece missing. Well, that's what character is all about, you see. Character means that you're complete. You're, there's nothing missing. Because you can be 99% great, but, but one little thing about your character it ruins the impression. So let's talk about a couple of things. Let's look in the mirror about a couple of things in integrity. Number one, integrity with money. Money is funny. It will help you to see like a mirror exactly what a person is made of. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how people can say smile and praise the Lord and all that, and that's awesome. But when it gets down to money and how they handle it in the business world and how they pay their bills and how they pay their taxes and how they pay their tithes and how they manage their expense account for the company, or if they need a screw for their microwave, if they pick one out of the barrel at work and put it in their pocket, it's interesting to watch how people manage Little financial issues, because that's really, that's why I'm starting with finances. I believe money really shows, like the mirror, it shows more about you. Look at, look at Gehazi in the Bible, who, who ran after Naaman and got that gold from him and came back and was struck with leprosy. Look, look at Achan, who stole a little wedge of gold and brought disaster on the whole nation for just a few coins. Look at Ananias and Sapphira. One preacher called him Ananias and Shepharia. I didn't know he was talking about for 30 minutes. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, under the covenant of grace, uh, sold some property, brought the money to the church and said, here's the funds that were generated from our property. And the Spirit said to Peter, they're lying. That's not all that the money. They're, they're acting like it was, but it's not. And Peter said, you guys are lying. And the, and the man fell dead. His wife comes in three hours later. He says, was that the amount you sold the property for? She said, yeah, boom, she falls down dead. Now, I'm, I'm showing you that money is a big deal. It's not a small deal. And I like starting off with paying your bills on time. You know, for years I was on television in, channel, in Baton Rouge on Channel 2 and Channel 9 and Channel 33. They're all secular. We didn't do Christian television. We didn't even have one. We finally bought one, which was awesome. But... For many years, I dealt with the, mainly the ABC affiliate, Channel 2. And the man shift, do y'all get Channel 2 here? Yeah, WBRZ. Y'all get, you get, okay. Well, Richard Manship owned that. He also owns the newspaper, The Morning Advocate. He recently sold it. But they're the media family of Baton Rouge, the journalism school in LSU, the Manship School of Journalism. So they had no Christian television, no commercials, nothing. 
And somehow God gave me favor to put a 90-second program on there 25 years ago. That's the program Governor Foster saw one day on his treadmill and sent for me to come teach him the whole Bible in four lessons. And I did, and he said, can you keep going? Well, I ended up getting reelected, and I was there six years. I gave Governor Foster an associate Bible college degree. Did y'all know that? I mean, dude, that thing went on and on and on. But the Lord used it in a mighty way. That came from that little TV program. Well, they called us one day, said, we need you to come to the station for a luncheon. Normally, when a TV station calls you and they're not saved, they got some dirt they're trying to dig up from somebody, somewhere, some rumor, and man, we were sweating buckshot. We thought, what is it? We, what, what's going on? What, so, so nobody would say anything. So we get down there to lunch. It's kind of awkward. You know, we're exchanging. Okay, hi, hi. Well, at the end of the meal, he said, I guess you wonder why we brought you here today. I said, well, I really am. They said, well, we've studied all of our records for the last 20 years. And Bethany is the only client of WBRZ that has never been late on a payment in 20 years. You've paid your bill every month for 20 years. And we just wanted to bring you here and honor you today. <laughs> I said, <"Whew." laughs> See, I didn't know he noticed that, Brother Barry. Isn't that interesting that a secular broadcaster, he noticed. You know, the little lady that blows up our balloons at the children's church. She knows, too, that we pay our bills. And the man that sweeps our parking lot with his little machine, he knows. And in over 50 years, we've never been late on any bill. That's our cardinal rule. We're not late. We would never, never, never. Now, see, that sounds like a little thing to you, doesn't it? But integrity is built over a lifetime of right decisions with money. The second thing I learned about integrity is commitments. You know, when I give my word, brothers, my word is my bond. First Samuel says, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. In the military, all battle happens around the word of a general, a major, a lieutenant, a sergeant, a captain. When they give their word, I'll meet you on the other side of that building in 10 minutes. It, 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 there's no change in nothing. You got to do it or you got to die trying or something. That's how armies stay together. Come on, say amen. amen. But see, now in our world, many men's word doesn't mean anything. And I'm talking about even Christian men. They just, the Bible says, blessed is the man that swears to his own hurt, but he changes not. In 1935, my grandfather, Joel Ernest Stocksteel, daddy's daddy, who's a godly, lay preacher. He borrowed money with a handshake in 1935. He never signed a piece of paper. He just looked the banker in the eye and it was just, he'd rather die than not pay the money back. That, that, was, that was the way business was conducted in those days. But today, you've got to sign papers. You have to mortgage your firstborn son, I think, to get a house. And not only that, contracts don't mean anything even. People will sign contracts with you and then they don't fulfill their contract and they say, sue me. They say, the amount of money I owe you is less than you're going to pay in legal fees. So people just drop it. Okay. But contracts, even contracts don't mean anything. I don't really need a contract. I'll sign one if I need to. 
I'm giving my word. And you can put my word in the bank. Are you listening out there? Because when I, when I give it, it's like God. God gives his word and he doesn't change. And that's the way we as model men, we need to look in the mirror and say, I told my wife I'd be home at five o'clock for supper, but you know, I just decided I'd stop off and look at that new gun on the way home and I didn't get home till 730. Hold on, hold on, whoa, hold up. Something came out of your mouth and it didn't happen. You know what? Your kids are watching and they're listening. And you tell them, I'm taking you to the zoo Saturday morning at one o'clock. We go into the zoo. They all get excited. But you didn't remember that the national championship basketball game is on at one o'clock. And you know, you try to tell them, hey, kids, I'm sorry. We're going to have to do that another weekend. They're all around there. Daddy, daddy, daddy. You said we're going to the zoo. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Well, you know what? Now, now, now you're making a decision. Now you got to look in that mirror and you got to say, well, you know what? Something came out of my mouth and I'm going to follow it. Years ago, I was a missionary in West Africa and a guy came to me on our staff there, tremendous pastor. He wanted to go to an American evangelist conference over in Kenya. Now, not to stretch your geographical knowledge too much, but Nigeria is in West Africa. Kenya is in East Africa. So we're talking about 5,000 miles away over desert, the Sudan desert and all this. I said, Vincent, we don't have money to fly you to Kenya. He said, I have my own money. I'll take buses to Kenya. I said, buses and taxis? Okay, man. So he heads out. 14 different buses he got on and took all-day trips going across that desert, across that desert. He gets to Nairobi where the thing is happening. He walks up to the venue. Man, the guy's so excited. He's got a little suit on. He had it in his little makeshift suitcase. He gets his suit on. He walks up there. Man, he's excited. He's at the conference. He's at the American Evangelist Conference. And there hanging on the door was a little sign over the door handles. You know what that sign said, brothers? It said, conference canceled. My friend, Vincent Orgwu, turned around and he took his suit off, put his traveling clothes on, and he traveled 14 more days back home across the desert, 10,000 miles altogether on buses. And he walked down and said, Vincent, hey, man, good to have you back. How was the conference? He dropped that head. I'll never forget it, Pastor Todd. He's, he just looked down. He said, conference canceled. You know, he could not understand that because it was so highly publicized in Africa. Why, why, why would that American evangelist do that? I don't know. Maybe the guy was in his office here in America and he thought, you know, that little conference there in Nairobi, he called his secretary. He said, I, I don't think I want to do that thing. Let, let's cancel that, Okay. Sure, one little phone call interchange, boom, it's canceled. Hey, nobody told Vincent. See how the power of your word, you see when you give it, and I've learned as a pastor, and I'm talking to you pastors too, when you give your word, it's your bond. And I came here to Lafayette tonight in a nice Ford F-150 truck that I just bought. Come on, somebody. Yeah, but if that truck wouldn't have worked, 
I'd have started walking toward Lafayette. Because I gave these men my word. I'm coming. I'm going to get up on the back of a semi. Or I'm going to do something. Because I'm getting where I've made my commitment. Third thing I learned about integrity is it's about truth. Y'all still here? Y'all still looking in the mirror? It's about truth. Now, you know, when you go in a court of law, you put your hand on a Bible. And help me out what they say. They say, do you promise to tell the truth? Do they stop there? What else do they say? And then what do they say? Nothing but the truth. Nothing but the truth. And, I, and I thought about that. Why don't they just say, do you promise to tell the truth? Because we figured out so many ways to lie. They say the whole truth, because if you tell a half truth, you didn't give all the facts. And that could change the opinion of a jury if they don't hear all the information, just selected information. That's a lie. You didn't tell the whole truth. And then nothing but the truth because they figured out that witnesses would exaggerate. And they'd say, yeah, man, he was 11 feet tall and he was blah, blah, blah. And I saw him come down. And instead of just, you know, all we need is just the facts. We just need to hear what did you see? But they embellish the truth and they will sway a jury. So all they need is just the plain, straight facts. And a family. In a business, in a pressure situation, even us Christian men, we have a tendency to not have an accurate recall about the facts. And I'm talking to myself because having accurate recall of the facts is not easy, especially if it's going to embarrass you. If you're sitting at lunch one day and the lights go off in your house, your first reaction is, well, there's a storm somewhere. And you walk outside, but you notice that the people next door are using their electricity fine. And then you start figuring, wait a minute, power's not off. It's off in my own house. And you remember that utility bill. I forgot to pay it. It's in my blue shirt pocket hanging in the closet. Oh, no. They cut off my power. Now what you going to do? You're going to walk back inside and you're going to say, let me check some stuff. And you're going to go in there and open the pantry door and get that breaker can open and start messing with the fuses and the switches and all. When you know in your mind, it ain't nothing to do with those breakers. It's the bill in your pocket. And you say, I'll, I'll have to go get somebody to help me. Uh, we'll, we'll get this thing squared away, sweetheart. You say, now, I can't tell her the truth. I'm going to go by the utility place while I'm out, and I'm going to pay that bill, and I'll come back. But you know what? That's not what is happening. You say, but it would embarrass me if I just told her, you know, I forgot to pay the bill. Well, let me tell you, as a pastor, here's what I learned, is that embarrassment goes away in about 30 seconds. But when you're caught in a lie, it's going to last for a whole lifetime with that person. So what you need to do if you're going to be embarrassed, God bless you, is go down to Lowe's, buy you a ladder, and get over it. <laughs> Come on now. 
And I've had as a pastor some embarrassing situations that it was impossible to not tell what had happened. And it was embarrassing. But when I just came out with it, boom, it was over. Truth sets you free. Lies put you in prison. You can never make up enough lies to cover all your lies that cover your lies. So it's so freeing to just be real. To just be who you are. And if you make a mistake, say, you know what? That was on me. Try it at work sometime. Everybody's always doing this at work. When you make a mistake, you're part of it. Shock everybody and say, you know what? I think that was my fault right there. I, I, that, that's on me. I, I, I'm going to change, but I, that, that was my mistake. I think that was me right there. So I can't do that. I might lose face at work, but it's the truth. And if you'll just be truthful, that boss is sitting there and he's saying, you know what? This guy right here, I can trust him. I think I'm going to promote him because he's honest. Why did Abraham Lincoln have the integrity reputation he had? They called him Honest Abe. He gave money back to somebody. Last week on the way to Birmingham, I ordered, I had two other guys with me. We all ordered sandwiches. We sat down to eat. We just eating potato chips and sandwiches. We've been driving. And I had the bill and I, and I looked back at it. 17 bucks. I thought, man, that's cheap. I looked at it again and I didn't see the third sandwich on there. And I walked up there to the register and I said, man, I don't think I gave you enough money. This, this ain't enough money. She runs it again. She says, you know what? We left a whole sandwich out of this, $6.50. And she looked up at me like a cow at a new gate. <laughs> like what rock did you come out of? What spaceship did you just arrive on? I said, oh, no, man, that's, that's the Lord Jesus Christ in me. He lives his life in me, and I would have been stealing your money if I didn't give you. I had a lady come to me at church one time. She said, Brother Larry, the Lord blessed me. I said, tell me about it. She said, I went to an ATM, and I got ready to put my number in. And when I did, I just punched one button, and all this money came out. She said, the Lord blessed me. I said, well, did you give it to the bank? She said, I rebuke that devil in Jesus' name. <laughs> I said, this ain't the devil. This is the word of God. Come on now, take a look. <laughs> That's integrity. Number two, purity. Purity. We're talking about looking in the mirror of God's word. And, and this is not to condemn us. This is, these are just principles that are all through the Bible that the Apostle Paul practiced and the kings of Israel practiced and so many people. You've got to have integrity. You'll never get to legacy without integrity. It's the foundation. That's why this book is called Model Man from Integrity to Legacy. And it starts with character. Second is purity. Now we talk about your sexual life. And this is a big, big deal for men. You know that $2 million is spent on pornography Every one second. Every second. Tick, tick, tick. Two million dollars is spent on pornography. It's unbelievable. 
Now let's talk about us. Because see, man, here's the deal with us. We are motivated by the eye gate. Women are motivated by the ear gate. Women will go by what you say to them, but men is all about what they see. That's why you have to be very, very careful with your eye gate. Because the moment we see a woman who doesn't have on enough clothing, our hormones start running from top to bottom. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, that's why you need to tell your wife that she does not need to come to bed dressed like an astronaut. <laughs> Saw one brother do that. Because your motivation is the eye gate, the danger. And of course, if you're deeply in love with your wife, you're not nearly as susceptible to moral failure. But let's say some stuff's not been going very well at home and, and very regular at home and all this. And, and, you know, you start kind of drifting from mom a little bit. And you're like David. Maybe you're successful. You know, most moral failure happens when you're successful. That's why you read about politicians and athletes and business executives and even spiritual leaders who are very successful people. But that's where they make their failure. David was a great success, didn't go out to battle one time. He's hanging out on his veranda, and he looks across the rooftops of Jerusalem. And I don't know how far away it was, but he spotted a woman taking a bath, a shower, who didn't have enough shower curtain. And that image, boom, got in his brain. And he sent his soldiers down the street, said, that house right there, up on the fourth floor, I want you to knock on the door, and I want you to bring me that woman. See, he's bored. He's successful. Plenty of money. He's get money's nothing. He's got wives, concubines, and cucumber vines. He's got everything he needs. Something about that that night, just that. And what he didn't know, man, it's gonna mark his life. He's still the only sin in his life that was that public was the, in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, her husband. He killed him too. So eye gates are the big important thing. That's why pornography is so dangerous. And when I say um, uh, $2 million is being spent every second on pornography, that's because some guys in Hollywood and different places are making movies and pornographic images and websites turning them out by the thousands every year just to entice men like you and me. And they say 60% of us are battling with pornography. And that would mean the men in this room. We got men in this room, you know who I'm talking to, and you're dealing with pornography. It's not like a way off problem. It's a big time problem for you. That website ESPM is a pornographic website because so many men go to ESPN, some brain head up there in the pornographic industry said, we'll just, if, it, if their finger slips off the N and hits an M, they're in our sight. That's how diabolical these people are. So you got to put a filter on your internet. And you see this little tablet? I have a filter on it 
It's called Covenant Eyes, but they got a ton of them out there you can use. And it sends a report to my wife every week if I looked at any website above a certain standard of rating. They rate websites. And it'll send, this is what he looked at, or, or zero this week, because it's all about the rating. My sons have have me as their accountability, and I get a weekly. I just got one from my son in Dallas, my young son, 22. Jason, zero, zero, zero every week. We're just accountable. Now, I'm, you say, well, that, that, that sounds like, you know, kind of like a lot of effort, and it does cost a little money to put it on your phone, on the tablet, and on all that, you know. And occasionally, it will filter a site that it really shouldn't. You know, like I tried to get on BennyHen.com one time, and it filtered that, which nothing to do with Benny Hen, but it it just it just made a mistake. And people tell me, well, I don't want to put those filters on because it'll filter some site that I really want to look at, and there's nothing wrong with it at all. And I say, hold on, brother, settle down a little bit now. You did not even have the Internet until 15 years ago when Al Gore invented it, did you? Now you all upset because there's one site you can't look at. By the way, the greatest filter that you could have if you can't find one is at a Chafalaya Basin. On your way to Baton Rouge, stop your car and take your computer and throw it in there. Because Jesus said you'd be better to pluck your right eye out and go to heaven and then have two eyes and spend eternity in hell. I ain't going to hell, brothers. I don't care what anybody says. I'm doing whatever it takes to protect my mind. See, Samson, all he had was three rules, three little guidelines. As a Nazarite, Nazarite, do not touch a grape, number one, never. Do not touch a dead body and do not cut your hair. Well, what is he doing in a vineyard at the end of his life? He's down in a vineyard and he kills a lion. But wait a minute, Samson, if you're never supposed to touch a grape, what are you doing in a vineyard? And then he kills a lion and he goes down there and he puts his hand in the carcass and he gets some honey. Wait, 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 wait. You're never supposed to touch a dead body. What's your hand doing in the carcass of that lion? And so the third rule, don't cut your hair, was a quick one to fall into when he fell into the first two and he's got his head in the lap of Delilah. Now, purity is about accountability. Jesus sent him out two by two. I have a partner with me tonight. He drove over with me just about everywhere I go unless there's a cancellation or something happens. I have a partner with me. Billy Graham had a partner with him who would search his room every night, close the door. He had the room across the hall. He watched Billy's room all night. And Billy Graham wanted that. You say, well, that's a little bit, you know, kind of overboard, isn't it? But Billy Graham, 67 years in the ministry, voted 59 times. And Gallup Poll is one of the most admired men in the world, one of the 10 most admired men in the world. Every president has him to the White House within the first month of office. And the man's my daddy's age, 96 years old. He hobbles around with Parkinson's, but they still, it's what he represents. Billy Graham, buddy, when he falls morally, it's all over. We might as well shut her all down. And you may say, well, how'd Billy Graham stay so pure? Pure. 1947, many men were falling into moral failure. And Billy Graham said, we're going to make a rule in our organization. Rule number one, you're never alone with a woman except your wife. If you don't get anything that I've ever said tonight, please take that one home with you.
that you don't have the strength to be alone with a woman who is not your wife. If you're in a room alone and she makes a move on you, you are not sure that you have the strength to resist. And furthermore, if you do resist, like Joseph totally resisted Potiphar's wife, his problem was, it says, there was no one else in the house with him. And when he fled, she held his garment and told her husband that he tried to rape her, which was a total lie. He spends 10 or 12 years in prison because he was in a house alone with a woman. I don't counsel women anymore, pastors. I have women that counsel women. It's interesting to me. When I implemented that, my counseling load went down by 75%. (laughs) And if I have to, lady knocked my door one day, wanting counseling at my house. Melanie was gone. I answered the door. I said, ma'am, you're going to have to wait out here. I closed the door. I called my dad. He lived around the corner. Daddy drove around, came in the back, came through the kitchen, sat in the living room. Okay, now I open the door. Lady comes in, sits down. It's me and daddy. What can we do? What do we need to pray with you about today? I wasn't about to let that woman in my house. Lady got up and walked across the parking lot. Lady comes up, big Mercedes. She rolls the window down and says, you must need a ride. Get in. I said, oh, I like to walk. Don't even worry about it. I ain't getting in that car with that woman. What's she going to say? What's she going to do? One of my friends was in an elevator, Jack Haynes. A lady gets on. She says, I like your cologne. He looked at her. He said, well, I need all the help I can get. She said, no, you don't either. That woman was making a move on him. He punched the button. Next floor, he got off. Yeah, yeah, I'm running from it. I'm, I'm running from it because I intend to stay married like my daddy, 63 years to the same woman. And when she died with Alzheimer's, he was kissing her on the love seat. Come on now. Yeah, I love my wife. And I, and by the way, it'd be 39 years, May the 8th. And six kids, we not just pro-life, we prolific. And that woman's cooked about 10,000 meals for me. She made me one before I left. She's washed eight loads of clothes a day when we had our kids. She homeschooled our kids, and one of them was on dialysis. Joe, she's running a dialysis machine and homeschooling. I'm talking about a woman. Some little secretary shake her behind at me. It don't affect me. I done found the best. Come on now. I'm going to talk about mama tomorrow night. You need to get yourself back in here tomorrow night and bring about three knuckleheads with you, three hairy-legged men with you. And don't tell them I'm speaking about women. The third thing is, is example. I think I know what time I'm supposed to finish, but not really. Are y'all still here? I mean, you drove a ways, I drove a ways. Let's get something done while we're here, okay? 
you need some integrity in your life. Number two, you need purity. Yes, protect your purity. Whatever you got to do, protect that purity because that's the Lord. That's Jesus. That's, and we've all messed up, but you've divorced or you've had this happen in your life. You've committed this. You can't unscramble eggs, but I'm talking about from now, right now, the Lord's recalibrating your character. He's making you look in the mirror and he said, you're going to be a different man when you walk out this building tonight. Hallelujah. Ooh, I feel the anointing of God in Lafayette. Number three is example. The, the model of Jesus, Peter says, is that we have an example that we can walk in his steps. Walk in his steps. I've got five sons. Joe's 36. Jason just made 22. He's graduating from Christ for the nations in three weeks. Somebody was talking to the, to the director of the school last week, and a subject of my son came up. And the director said, who's been around here many, many years, he said, that's the best student Christ for the nations has ever produced. I've never been more proud of a young man. And he tells me, Daddy, I'm walking in your steps. I'm walking in your steps. Joel go on the phone driving over here. He's so filled with the Holy Ghost, he don't know what to do with himself. He's a prophet and full of the power of God. And, and, and he, he told me, I'm walking in your steps. You talk about an example. Man, we better be an example. And when I say example, I'm talking about how the world sees you. You know, it, it, I'll talk to you about tomorrow night about your wife and how she'll help you with your example. But the way I like to define example is with the word order. Everybody say order. When you pull up to a gas station and there's a yellow thing hanging over the pump, what does that sign say? Out of order. It's, it, it, the thing, it ain't going to produce anything because it's out of order, alignment. Order precedes multiplication. Jesus set the men down in groups of 50 on a hillside, and then he multiplied the bread. People ask me all the time, I want God to bless my business. I want God to bless my life financially. I want the Lord to enlarge me. I say, great, put in order the things that you have. I read in Titus yesterday, he told Titus, put in order the things in Crete. Now, order is something that people can observe. My father-in-law, Brother Clark, who Pastor Francis mentioned, ex-military, and Brother Jim said he can find any color sock in his house in the total dark. He said if it's pitch black, middle of the night, no electricity, he can walk right to the color sock he needs and pull it out and go put it on and walk out the house. Come on now, somebody. And a lot of you is at the bottom of that uh, little hamper in the, in, the, in the washroom, and that thing's all, your shirt, you're late for everything because you can't find anything. And, and, it's, and, you know, Brother Clark, you go to his, out in his uh, garage, every tool is sitting there on this perforated board. He's got a magic marker outline around everything like his hedge clippers. He can see if they're missing. It's order. 
I didn't have any of that, you know. I mean, I'm so I had to learn order over these years, financial order. One lady told me, said, I know I got money in the bank. I've got checks in my checkbook. I said, sweetheart, it don't work like that. But there's an order. And even, and you know, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a little assignment here, okay? You go home and start opening closets and see if you don't have to run for your life on some of those closets. Because you open them, it's like an avalanche comes out. Maybe your garage is like that. You had not opened the garage door in five years. Because there's so much stuff. There's no cars in there. It's stuff. You're afraid to open it because stuff's going to go spilling out almost to the street. Or maybe your yard, your backyard, the grass is two feet high. You lost two kids in there last year. <laughs> and you're trying to witness to your neighbor about Jesus. And he's looking over the fence and going, yeah. So order is our example. It really... it. It really comes down to that. So, so look at yourself and say, Lord, am I, is my life in order? Is my home in order? Are my finances in order? I mean, can I, or if I've just got a big old swirling mess, and I'm talking about Christians. I was looking in our parking lot several years ago, passed a car. Oh my goodness. The whole back seat was filled with McDonald's cups. I'm, all, I'm talking about almost up to the windows. And they were in there shouting and praising God, but they dare not open their back door. Because that mess, it, listen, see, we, we want to be an example. But how about little things like stores? You know, I go to a Walmart. It's amazing. When I get in a line, that line becomes the longest line. At the cash register. There's a brother back there saying amen. And if you want to get in the longest line, just get in behind me. Because every other line is going to move. And I can move over to that line. And then my line that I just left starts moving. But mine stays still. And the reason is there's a lady up there. It says no women here. I can say this. There's a lady up there counting out coupons. And she's working that coupon thing, and there's 20 of us in line that haven't paid, and we're in a hurry, particularly me. I'm very busy. So I want to go running to the front and say, hey, can you not see there's 19 other people in this line ready to pay like money? And why don't you let us come through? And But all those people in line would go, wait a minute, that's that pastor from Bethany. What's that guy doing? What's his problem? I just go back to the back of the line, you know, and just shuffle forward <laughs> like that. So when I get my stuff paid for, I'm, I'm late. I run out with my buggy and I unload all my groceries and put it in my car. And I'm in a hurry, man. And, and there's a place you're supposed to put your buggy, right? Does anybody put their buggy there? No. Well, here's a couple of Christian guys that do. Most of them just shove it with their foot. That's what they do. I've always wanted to shove my buggy with my foot. But I walk out the store and people are just staring at me like, that's that pastor from Bethany. Yeah, we see him on TV. Uh-huh. Watch this. Let's see what he's going to do with his buggy. So that rack is about a half a mile across the parking lot. So here I go, man. 
I'm headed over there with that buggy and I get it in there and I'm really, really late now. So I jump in my car and I get to the interstate because I got appointments and I'm already late and I get in that left lane and man, I love that left lane. It's named for me, left lane Larry. That, that's what it's all about. How many of you love the left lane? Really? Cause man, all those other people that go the speed limit and all that, you know what? God bless them, but I'm going. I even have a scripture for that. It says the king's business requires haste. Yeah. You say, where is that in the Bible? I ain't going to tell you because you'll look it up. Every now and then somebody get in that left lane, just go the speed limit. And so I get in that lane behind them and I'm like a crouching tiger and I get right up on them. And I flash my lights a couple of times, no response. And they move right up close to another vehicle. I can't get around them. So I honk my horn a couple of times. And then I start moving back and forth, lane to lane, lane to lane. And they never get the message till finally they get the message. And they just ease over just real slow. And finally, I pull up next to them and I can't resist. I kind of slow down. I look over at them. And I'm getting ready to do this, and I notice it's the chairman of my board of deacons in that truck. (laughs) Serves me right. I just love on them. Hallelujah. Some of you go to church and sing like an angel in heaven, but you come home like a bat out of hell. That's how you drive. So it's an example. Now, you know, in all three of these areas, and we're going to get into some other stuff tomorrow night. In all three of these areas, my brothers, we've all failed. I mean, I look at my own life. If I look in the mirror, if I just glance at it and keep moving, I don't notice anything. But when you stop and you look, wait a minute. I think he was talking to me. And you don't go anywhere. You look, you get closer and closer. And you say, wow, I see that. I see that. I see that integrity problem. And I'm not the same on the outside as I am behind the scenes. Lord, I see that purity problem. Nobody knows about it, but I got these images in my mind. And I got this little thing going with this lady at work. And I'm flirting with secretaries and waitresses and stewardesses. And and Lord, my mind is just always on women. Or, Lord, I've got this, these issues where I'm late and I'm, I'm always, my life is just out of order. It's just chaotic. You cannot unscramble eggs. You know that, guys. But you can start over. Anywhere on God's economy is a great place to start over. Like pushing a reset button on an odometer. I love that tripometer. Boink. And it all goes back to zero. I believe that's where we ought to start tonight. Close your eyes with me. These last two minutes are probably the most important. If you're here and you would be honest, you'll look in that mirror and you say, Pastor, I can see that there's sin in my heart. I know it's there. I feel it. If I died tonight, I'm not sure where I'd spend eternity, really heaven or hell. And I want forgiveness. 
And I need the Lord to wash me in the blood of Jesus. That's why He died on the cross, was to forgive you. He loves you. We've all failed. We've all, none of us are models. Before we get saved, we're a hot mess. Once we get saved, the Lord says, hey, I'm working in you. If you're here and you would say, I got to press the reset button. I, I got to have a new start. Maybe somebody brought you with them tonight. Maybe you're here and you go to church every week hearing the word, but you're not applying it at all. And you need to get right with God. Now I'm going to look from left to right because there's people sitting just about every direction. If you would say to me, Pastor, would you include me in that prayer? I need forgiveness and I want to get sin out of my heart. I want to get right with God. Go get in my car or my truck tonight knowing that I'm right with God. Here's what I want you to do. Right in your seat. Without hesitation, if that's you, I'd like you to just quickly right now slip up your hand and hold it up. I see men shooting that hand up all over this building. Leave it there. In fact, stand and put both hands up if that's you. All across this room, you've got one hand up. You're not ashamed. He died naked for you on the cross. Lord wasn't ashamed of you to get in line and pay for your sins. I haven't seen too many people in line paying for my sins. Only one. And it's Jesus. Now, y'all are going to be surprised at something. Because I do want these pastors to help me lay hands on all the men that are standing. Keep your heads bowed. Do not look. But I want every man with both hands up saying, I surrender. That's what that means when you stick your hands up saying, I surrender. If you're surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're pressing the reset button. I'm moving this mirror right up to the front of this stage. And you got the guts to come and just look in God's mirror. I want the men that are standing quickly step out of your seats and come form a big old line all the way across this building. It's going to wrap on the whole three sides of this platform. Come here quickly. Come on, Lafayette. This is the moment where this is what's going to start happening. Men are going to start getting saved. And they may be good Christian men that are not really serving God. They may have backslid or they may just be lost as a goose in a hailstorm. It don't matter. The Lord loves them all. Come on, man. Wrap around this stage. You're not going to believe this. Some of you need to come over here on this side. We got some more room over here. Just shift around a little bit. Come on, all the way over on the left. We got tons of room on the left. And then you guys fill in there. That's all you guys probably just come over here on the left side if you could. Wow. Now give them a great big hand clap. Look at the men coming to get right with God. Look at them. What a blessing. What a blessing. You had the courage to come look in the mirror. And you know, it didn't say just glance. It said that you're going to keep looking and the Lord's going to change your life. Put your hand over your heart, guys. It's like you say pledge allegiance. There's where your sin is down in your heart. Say this out of your heart. hundred men getting saved right now. Say this out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, you died for me. You paid my sin debt. And nobody else has ever done that. So tonight, I give you my life. I give you everything. I'm surrendering everything. My body, my eyes, my tongue, my mind, my spirit. I'm giving you me. Sin and all. Wash me in your hot blood. 
that ran from your body for me. Wash me clean and write my name in the book of life. Give me that integrity. Give me that impurity, that purity. Give me that example. And Lord, change my character. Change the spelling on anything that's wrong. And I thank you, Lord. Do you know the Bible says that men ought to lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting? You guys do that down front. Everybody else stand. You lift up your holy hands. The Spirit of God is here. The Spirit of God is here. We're not here just for barbecue chicken. We're here because we're looking in the mirror. All you guys in this building, look in the mirror. That's really what this little book, Model Man's all about. It's about it's nine chapters of looking in the mirror. That's all it is. Father God, I speak a blessing over these new men that have just been saved. Some of them that were backslid that came back to you, Lord. I speak a blessing. You said that if they'll persevere looking in your mirror, in your word, they'll be blessed in all they do. I speak a blessing over your marriage, your kids, your neighborhood, your workplace, even that business you own. I speak a blessing over your health in your body. Over everything that you touch, sir, is going to be like Joseph, like Daniel. You're going to be blessed in all that you do. And the Lord will give you favor as he sees your heart is clean before him. Thank you, my father. In Jesus' mighty name, praise his wonderful name. Come on, brothers of Lafayette. Could we give the Lord a hand for all these men that have come tonight? To give their hearts to the Lord. Come on. Come on. God bless you. I am so proud of you guys. Oh, come on. Give Jesus a great big hand clap. He's so, he's so wonderful. Thank you, Lord.